Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the state historian at UConn Hartford and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. In this episode of Grading the Nutmeg, Mary Donahue, assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored, reveals the Connecticut connection to Gutson Borglum, the sculptor of Mount Rushmore, and the run-up to his most contentious project, Mount Rushmore National Monument in South Dakota. Hi, this is Mary Donahue, Assistant Publisher of Connecticut Explored for Grading the Nutmeg. Today, in the middle of 2020, commemorative statues across the country are being re-examined to see whose history they tell and whether they reflect our country's values now. Connecticut has over 500 pieces of outdoor sculpture ranging from 1840 stone obelisks to abstract pieces erected recently. According to Dr. David Blight, a professor of history at Yale and author of Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom, in an editorial in the New York Times on July 18th, he says, as of June 2020, over 100 Confederate monuments or symbols were removed across the country. Thousand more statues, street names, school names, plaques, and other symbols of the Confederacy remain. In time, much if not all of this memorial landscape in civic spaces may be removed. In Connecticut, statues of Christopher Columbus have been taken down recently in Norwalk, Hartford, New London, and Middletown. Columbus, who sailed to the Americas in 1492, enslaved many native inhabitants of the West Indies and subjected them to extreme violence and brutality, according to a History.com article. Perhaps the largest outdoor sculpture in the country Mount Rushmore has been controversial since it was proposed. Where it's located, who it commemorates, and its sculptor are all part of the national conversation now. Built on Native American land, featuring the faces of four American presidents, two of which were slaveholders, Washington and Jefferson. Lincoln and Roosevelt were involved in efforts to uproot Western Native American tribes. And the sculptor behind the design, Connecticut resident Gutson Borglum, someone who, according to the article How Mount Rushmore Became Mount Rushmore, published in the New York Times July 1, 2020, formed great bonds with leaders of the Ku Klux Klan and participated in their meetings to secure funding for the Stone Mountain Project in Georgia. Borglum also espoused white supremacist and anti-Semitic ideas. Let's explore Borglum's connection to Connecticut. John Gutsum de Moth Borglum, 1867-1941, became famous as Gutsum Borglum, an artist remembered almost entirely for Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. He was a man of the American West. But he had a surprising Connecticut connection. Borglum began work on the National Memorial, now visited by nearly 3 million people a year, in 1927. The time Borglum spent in Stamford, Connecticut, beginning in the 19-teens into the 1920s, paved the way for his later achievements. Born and raised in the West, Borglum absorbed inspiration there for vivid images and themes that would inform the art for which he became internationally known. Epitomizing the American icon of the rugged individualist, he counted United States presidents, inordinately wealthy industrialists, and members of society's elite as friends and patrons. 
All told, he created more than 170 monuments and statues in his lifetime. Borglum was recognized as an important American sculptor by the early 1900s. His Mares of Diomedes in 1906 was one of the first pieces of American sculpture acquired by the Metropolitan Museum of Art, according to John Telefero in Great White Fathers, the story of the obsessive quest to create Mount Rushmore. In 1999, the Stanford Museum and Nature Center in Connecticut mounted the large-scale exhibition Out of Rushmore's Shadow, the Artistic Development of Guts and Borglum. The exhibition sought to illustrate the range of Borglum's oeuvre and put the museum's collection of Borglum pieces from his Stanford, Connecticut studio into context. The museum had the advantage of being able to consult Borglum's daughter, Mary Ellis Borglum Bray, and his granddaughter, Robin Borglum Carter, who had published her own volume based on family-held papers, Gutsum Borglum, His Life and Work. Tara Farrow's book, Great White Fathers, dispelled a great number of myths and provided more details about the, Connecticut's, about the artist's time in Connecticut. Borglum was born to Danish immigrants just after the Civil War in what was then the Idaho Territory. His parents practiced the Mormon faith, and his father, Jens Borglum, was in a polygamous marriage with two sisters. Gutsum was the child of the second wife, the younger sister. His father later left Mormonism and separated from Gutsum's mother. The family moved to California in 1884 when Gutsum was 16. His father returned to Nebraska. Gutsum and his younger brother, Solon, decided to stay in California. Solon worked as a ranch hand, and Gutsum took art classes. According to a National Park Service biography by 1888, Gutsum had made a name for himself. He completed a portrait of General John C. Fremont and became friends with Jesse Bennett Fremont, the general's wife, who would be an early patron. Gutsum married Elizabeth Putnam, a very successful California painter almost two years his senior, in 1889. With her encouragement, he took art classes taught by several important California artists. The couple moved to Paris to study and to work in 1890. As Howard Schaff and Audrey Carl Schaff wrote in Six Wars at a Time, The Life and Times of Gutsum Borglum, sculptor of Mount Rushmore, Borglum began as a painter, then switched to sculpture in 1900. His younger brother Solon, who had also moved to Paris and become a well-known sculptor there, was portraying lively, well-modeled figures from the American West. Art historians have speculated that Gutson dropped painting in favor of sculpture, in part out of competition with his brother. Gutson and Elizabeth traveled in Europe, seeing both old world masterpieces and examples of the avant-garde. But perhaps the greatest influence on Borglum was the work of French sculptor Auguste Rodin, whose stylistic elements, such as rooting realistic pieces in blocky, unfinished-looking bases, and creating an irregular surface much like that of an Impressionist painting, Borglum incorporated into his own work. With his marriage fizzling out, Borglum returned to the United States in 1901, moving to New York City, where he opened a studio. There he joined many sculptors of national note, including John Quincy Adams Ward, Augustus St. Gaudens, and Carl Bitters. In 1903, he received a commission for more than 100 figures for the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. From the 1880s until the Great Depression, the U.S. experienced an age of intense activity in the realms of art, architecture, and urban planning that spawned the American Renaissance and the City Beautiful movements. The American Renaissance established a standard of sculptural types, including 
statues, medallions, fountains, and bas-reliefs, and of appropriate subject matter. The new sculpture, primarily in bronze after 1865, was concentrated in three areas. Large public monuments, larger-than-life allegorical compositions glorifying the ideals of human experience or of American democracy, and portraits honoring great personages of American past and present. An important aspect of the era was the presence of lucrative but very competitive commissions for public sculpture. Ever ready for a challenge, Borglum began his quest for sculpture commissions. In 1902, he entered a competition for the design of a memorial to Ulysses S. Grant in Washington, D.C. The $250,000 commission was a huge sum for the time, according to Schaff and Schaff. According to Telefero, the Washington Star newspaper gave special attention to Borglum, noting that his grant is firmly seated, the attitude is excellent, full of motion and character. This is one of the finest works of sculpture, unquote. But for reasons unknown, the review committee disqualified Borglum's submission. He therefore refused to enter competitions, choosing instead to rely on his reputation, talent, charm, and social connections to solicit work. He soon joined the National Sculpture Society, but after a stormy conflict with other members, he resigned in 1903. Once again outside the established New York art circle, he used his status as an outsider to his advantage, stressing his artistic independence and integrity. Borglum submitted three paintings, a pastel, and seven sculptures to the World's Fair commemorating the Louisiana Purchase in 1904. Borglum obtained many commissions related to the 1909 centennial of Abraham Lincoln's birth, among them a marble bust that was more than three feet tall. Borglum asked his friend, President Theodore Roosevelt, to show the work in the White House during 1909, and it was then purchased by wealthy patron Eugene Meyer Jr. to be placed on view in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Robert T. Lincoln praised the massive bust in a 1908 letter saying, quote, I think it's the most extraordinarily good portrait of my father I've ever seen, and it impressed me deeply as a work of art which speaks for itself in the most wonderful manner, unquote, according to the website of the architect of the Capitol. The Stanford Museum and Nature Center has several Lincoln studies by Borglum in its collection. Borglum would later draw on these achievements, experiences, and typology when he created Mount Rushmore. We're going to take a short break and then come back with the rest of the story. If you love Connecticut history and want to know about all the great places to visit, you'll love our curated collections of back issues. What's your Connecticut passion? Themed collections include the Great Escapes Collection, with stories about great places to visit in Connecticut, the Art History Collection, War and Homefront Collection, Connecticut Brand Collection, features stories on Connecticut's manufacturing and industrial history, the Historic Preservation Collection, politics and government, or create your own collection. Just choose five issues and we'll send them to you for one price. Visit www.ctexplore.org for more information. Now back to our story. Borglum married Mary Montgomery in 1909 in Short Beach, Connecticut, after his first marriage ended in divorce. He had met Mary in 1901 on board a ship returning to the United States. She had just earned a PhD from the University of Berlin. In 1909, Borglum borrowed $40,000 from his patron and friend Eugene Meyer Jr. to purchase property in Stamford, Connecticut. Borglum's brother, Solon, and his wife, Emma, had already moved to nearby Silvermine, Connecticut about 1905. Close to New York City and connected to the city by train, Fairfield County, 
then as now, was peppered with the country homes of an impressive number of artists, writers, playwrights, actors, and celebrities, along with wealthy patrons and collectors. Solon, the first of the two brothers to gain a reputation for sculpture, would help establish the Silvermine Art Center in New Canaan in 1922, formalizing a group of artists that had been informally exhibiting together for several years. Solon died suddenly that year in Stanford Hospital. By encouraging other artists in the area to participate in formal art shows, the Silvermine Guild prospered and attracted thousands of visitors from New York City and elsewhere. Purchasing as many parcels as Gutson could, sources vary as to the total number of acres he amassed, ranging from 250 to 800, Gutson Borglum named his estate Borglin. His granddaughter, Robin Carter, quoted Borglum's daughter, Mary Ellis, as saying, quote, Our farm in Connecticut was our kingdom. It gave us a sense of place that we kept always, unquote. His wife, Mary, in her book, Give the Man Room, the Story of Gutson Borglum, Describe Borglum's involvement with their Stanford home and town politics. The farmhouse was renovated, and Borglum threw himself into building roads, paths, and gardens. His studio was built entirely out of stone from huge pinkish granite boulders from the property. They were dug out, cut, and scraped by a crew of Italian stonecutters who came from a neighboring town the first of every week, camping out in the woods near the work, Mary Borglum writes. The dedication of the studio was celebrated with officers of the Masonic Grand Lodge of both Connecticut and New York and other guests. Mary devoted a chapter to her husband's involvement with local issues and politics, including town and city consolidation, road paving, the establishment of a bus line, and the personal promotion of the National Progressive Party of Connecticut in 1912. The farmhouse gave Borglum a setting in which to entertain overnight guests, patrons, and potential clients. One of his closest friends and patrons, Archer M. Huntington, had a home nearby in Reading. Huntington's wife, artist Anna Hyatt Huntington, studied under H.A. McNeil and Borglum. She became a successful sculptor, designing large equestrian sculptor in Danbury of Civil Luddington, and the animal figures outside Huntington State Park in Connecticut. Borglum's work during this period, during which he maintained his New York studio as well, included stunning allegorical pieces that dramatically show the influence of Rodin's work on his. These are small bronze or marble pieces, such as I Have Piped Unto You, Conception, Grief, and Motherhood, showing Borglum's interest in depicting the female form. A major work by Borglum in Connecticut is the Nathaniel Wheeler Memorial Fountain in Bridgeport. It was commissioned by Wheeler's heirs as a gift to the city. Nathaniel Wheeler was a founder and principal in the Wheeler and Wilson Sewing Machine Company and a major figure in Bridgeport civic life. He was a member of St. John's Episcopal Church, located at the northwest corner of the intersection of Park and Fairfield Avenues where the fountain was placed. Photos from the period show a genteel streetscape, including the church and elegant homes, very different from today's busy commercial intersection. As historian Kate Ono wrote in the Fountain's nomination to the National Register of Historic Places, Borglum developed an imaginative scheme that featured a central fountain sited in an irregular triangle in the middle of the intersection of the two city streets. The fountain included three small watering troughs, one at each corner. 
restored in 2009 at a, really at a cost of almost $200,000. The central fountain has a granite basin from which a bronze mermaid rises while holding a baby mermaid at her hip. Her uplifted arm supports a lamp. Water sprouts upward from four children's faces on the rounded rim to fill the basin. The troughs for watering horses have a sea motif. One features dolphins flanked by conch shells, the second has three fish flanked by conch shells, and the third is heart-shaped with a child's arms, perhaps a young mermaid, outstretched to hold the basin. The child's faces on the central fountain were modeled after Borglum's then newborn son Lincoln, according to Mary Borglum, who notes that the Wheeler Fountain celebrated the child's birth and that Lincoln was christened in it by his uncle, Reverend Marshall Montgomery, at five months old. Borglum also chose to design the stone reredos for the high altar at the nearby St. John's Episcopal Church, where the baby's christening was registered. In 1915, Borglum was behind on his mortgage payments to Meyer. Several projects have been falling through, but that year, Helen Plain of the United Daughters of the Confederacy, the UDC, asked Borglum to sculpt a massive bust of General Robert E. Lee on Stone Mountain, Georgia. Located 15 miles from Atlanta, the huge exposed granite mountainside inspired Borglum to propose not just a bust of Lee, but a huge composition including Stonewall Jackson and Jefferson Davis on horseback, among other military figures and soldiers. As related by author John Telefero, Stone Mountain was the home of the newly reinvigorated Ku Klux Klan, and the Stone Mountain sculpture was endorsed by the UDC, the KKK, and the Stone Mountain Confederate Memorial Association formed to administer the project. Borglum was known to be a member of the KKK at this time. Delayed by World War I, the sculpture of Lee's head was completed in 1924. Eventually, Borglum and the project leaders had a falling out, and Borglum was fired from the project. He destroyed his models for the sculpture, and his work on the mountain was destroyed too when another artist took over the project. Borglum retreated to Borgland in Connecticut. Mount Rushmore, a sculpture carved into the granite face of Mount Rushmore near Keystone, South Dakota, would cap Borglum's career and earn him his greatest fame. According to the National Park Service, South Dakota state historian Doan Robinson was inspired by the Stone Mountain Project to create a monumental tourist attraction. A letter from Robinson dated August 20, 1924, and asking the sculptor to consider designing and supervising the project was forwarded to the Borglum home in Stamford, Connecticut. Borglum's response by telegram, as quoted in Rex Allen Smith's The Carving of Mount Rushmore, read, quote, very interested in your proposal. Great scheme you have. Hold to it. The North will welcome it, unquote. The Mount Rushmore piece, as it exists now, features 60-foot-tall portraits of U.S. presidents, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. Construction began in 1927, and after Borglum's death in 1941, his son Lincoln completed the work on the faces. Many aspects of Gutzlum's original design remain incomplete, including a carving of the presidents from the waist up and the Hall of Records conceived of as an archive for future generations. To undertake the project, the family moved from Stanford to his temporary home in South Dakota. 
Borglum remained behind on his mortgage on Borglum in Stamford, and by 1941, just before his death, the Stamford estate continued to languish, unvisited, indebted, unkempt. The Borglum estate along Wire Mill and Guts and Borglum Roads was sold by his widow Mary before her death in 1955 and subdivided. The large stone studio was converted into a Tudor-style house, later lived in by cartoonist Mort Walker, the creator of the Beetle Bailey comic strip. How can we balance Borglum's personal life against his artistic life? Let's go back to Dr. David Blight's editorial in the New York Times. He writes, Let's have the moral courage to demonstrate that Americans can actually face their pasts and organize their incomparable intellectual, artistic, and organizational resources to forge as honest and as clear-eyed a public historical landscape as that of any nation in the world. Let's see what Connecticut does about commemorative pieces here in the state. This has been Mary Donahue for Grading the Nutmeg. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Mary Donahue and engineered by Patrick O'Sullivan. To hear more episodes of Grading the Nutmeg, subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, SoundCloud, or at gradingthenutmeg.libsyn.com. And for more great Connecticut history stories, subscribe to Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history, at ctexplored.org. This is Walt Woodward, hoping you'll join us next time for another episode of Grading the Nutmeg.